Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. I'd like to welcome you to today's show. I have with me today someone that I think is just so very different from some of the other guests that I've had in terms of his story. Today I have with me Willie, Willie Baronet. <laughs> That's Cajun, born in <laughs> Louisiana, right? That's Willie right. Baronet, an artist and professor in creative advertising at SMU, Southern Methodist University, and founder of what we'll talk about today, We Are All Homeless. That's a weareallhomeless.org, actually. And that's a project that he has undertaken. Let me just tell you a little bit about Willie. Willie has purchased to date about 2,000 homeless signs. <laughs> How does he get them? Started 27 years ago in 1993, he literally sticks his head out, you're gonna see this, out of the car window and simply says, Hey, would you sell me your sign? Sure. How much? All right. I started buying and collecting homeless signs back in 1993, really as a way to deal with my own discomfort when I saw a person holding a sign on the street. My name is Willie Baronet. So, welcome Willie. How are you today? I'm very happy to be here. I'm doing well. Thank you so much. And I appreciate it because I know you're getting ready to go to Alaska. For I am a big event, and I just I just want to start from the beginning. I have to tell you, uh, listeners and watchers, that I pre-interview, as you know, I always do pre-interviewed Eddie, and I <coughs> not Eddie Willie, and I got <laughs> so engrossed in what he was talking about that I even I, I I just got discombobulated. I usually take a picture of us when I'm interviewing someone, and I didn't even do that, and that's because I said the name Eddie because. The stories that he told me we're going to talk about today, and one of them is about a man named Eddie. So, Willie, I just want to start by asking you, how did this, you called it a calling, how did this even start by you sticking your head out and saying, how much for a sign? Well, in 1993, it and again, I don't remember the very first time I ever saw people holding signs, but it was around 93 that I remember it started to be a regular thing in Dallas. <laughs> and back then, you may remember a lot of the early signs just said, we'll work for food. That was True. the standard, almost uh, cliche of a homeless sign back in the days. And I did not like the way I felt when I passed somebody and I like a lot of people I think I would avert my eyes this was before cell phones so I would pretend to fiddle with the radio or whatever and I just didn't like how that felt mm. and 
I have lots of strange ideas. I always have. I probably always will. And one of those ideas was, well, I wonder if they would sell me their signs and maybe I could do something with them for an art project. And so it started in 93. And once I started, I couldn't stop. Hmm. Almost immediately, I noticed the dynamic would change from the way that our interaction started and they would immediately lean in they wanted to know why i wanted the signs and it was a chance for me to shake their hand get to ask them their name and it completely shifted the way i felt so i never stopped isn't that fascinating i have to ask you as a woman you know we know the statistics of how many homeless people have mental illness uh, and our uh, drug addicts. And so what would you say to women in approaching a homeless person with those statistics? Well, I think I would say this to anybody, that everybody should trust themselves and don't do anything that you feel uh, unsafe doing or uh, is too risky. I think everybody's got to figure that out for themselves. I personally, having done this for so long, have never... I've never felt threatened. I've never even really been treated rudely by anyone. Uh, but I do think everybody needs to take, you know, pr whatever precautions they need to. Trust your intuition about mm -hmm. that. I thought you were going to ask me about how many people that I bought signs from were women. Because there That's is a significant a percent of the homeless population tends to be female. A lot of those people, a lot of the women on the streets are fleeing domestic abuse situations and other mm. situations that are peculiar to women. And so I've just noticed that uh, mm. over the years. And I think that, I don't know the actual numbers, but I feel like it seems to be increasing. It's very much a very sad and apparent and visible issue. Um, I'm not going to ask you your political opinion on this, but just to say, is there a solution? Um, I think there's no single solution. I think there is going to have to be a lot of solutions because the things that contribute to homelessness include everything from hunger and poverty to mental health, as you mentioned, to general access to health care. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have one significant health care crisis and go through all of their money. Um, you mentioned, mentioned mental health, addiction, uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome. There are, you know, 11% or so of the people on the streets are veterans. So all of that and then if you add things like job training dental care um, people that are felons that are have already paid their debt to society but can't get a job etc people that can't get a permanent address so they can't get a job because things can't be mailed to them all of those things are on this list and so there's no single solution but there are a lot of solutions that can happen. And I want to say, too, I know you said you, you said you didn't want to ask me a political thing, but but I, in 2016, was fortunate enough to be able to do an exhibit at both political conventions, the Republican convention in Cleveland and the Democratic really? Cleveland uh, uh, convention in Philadelphia. And 
because I don't believe this is a political issue as much as it is a human issue. So, um, yeah, it's complicated. And people that want a silver bullet are going to be disappointed because uh, I do think it starts with awareness and compassion, Mm -hmm. but the actual solution is very complex. Well, thank you. That is very wise. And uh, just to show everyone and to tell everyone what you have done now with these 2,000-plus, right, homeless signs? I actually signs? don't know for sure. I think it's closer to 1,900. Oh, I don't we're going to say 2,000. Okay. It's 2,000 signs. <laughs> I, I, I'm in the process of our database. I think we have documented 1,100 of them, and I'm always buying signs, so it's a constant process of photographing, inputting data, so I think it's about 1,900. (laughs) Well, we have up on the screen, for those of you watching, um, what you do now with those signs to raise awareness of uh, homelessness is to do exhibits. Tell us about what you do with these signs and where it's taken you all over the world. It has. the um, In 2009, I did the first ever exhibit of homeless signs, art related to these homeless signs. And since then, I have continued to do exhibits. And they're always in various formats, different kinds of installations. Sometimes they cover a wall or a floor. Sometimes they're literally hanging in a space so that people oh, can walk around them as they mm-hmm. slowly spin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I've been invited to do exhibits all over the place, and that has been incredible <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Partially because I get to interact with people in states around the country and hear people's prejudgments about the homeless mm-hmm. and how that shifts just after they experience one of these exhibits. You know, thank you for that because that's what this has done for me. So being totally transparent and authentic, (laughs) before we met, I also have been perfectly fine walking right by, almost out of a little fear, honestly, like, oh, I don't know, right? And so I want everyone to look at this documentary that Prime Video has done. It's only been up for three months, and um <laughs> it has already had how many hits I think it's been viewed uh about 30,000 times so far yes so it's called signs of humanity you can go onto Amazon Prime and see it and I'm just saying in all of that that it has uh, opened my eyes to a very different perspective. And so that's why I'm so interested in having you on the show, Willie. I want to talk to you, too, about um, you also are doing your work every day. So you've got your project over here. Right. And and when I ask you, well, are you ever going to stop the project of buying signs and doing these exhibits all over the world? And what did you say? Uh, I think I said... Uh, as long as I have money, uh, I'll probably keep doing it. (laughs) 
And you said it's a dragon. Remember that? Oh, that's right. I did say it is a dragon that I'm hanging on to the tail of, and I'm just trying not to let go. Yeah. Because it's taking me in a lot of places I never dreamed. You mentioned, um, you know, I leave Wednesday morning to go to Alaska to do an exhibit at the Anchorage Museum. I didn't realize there was such a significant homeless problem in Alaska. And that's just one of the places that I never dreamed I would be going because of this project. So my question is, as a one person, how do you balance being a professor every day, right, and doing the project? How do you do that? Well, in some ways, I find, so I teach creativity and advertising at SMU, Mm -hmm. and I actually bring this project into the classroom on a regular basis. I assign a project in one of my classes about purpose and mission uh, as it relates to creativity, and of course this is a great example that I can use, Mm -hmm. and the students get it. I think students tend to believe stuff more when the professor's actually doing what he's talking about Oh, for sure. (laughs) And I think that in addition to that, um, I work with other groups at SMU. There's a human rights group, and some of those students are actually going to be volunteering for this project. So one of the things that's really beautiful about this for me is how these two things really fit together. Mm-hmm. You know, I teach advertising in some in one way. Homeless signs are about as basic a form of marketing and advertising as there is. <laughs> And I'm interested in the messages on the signs. I'm interested in the aesthetics of the actual cardboard, the the sweat stains, literally what makes these interesting artifacts to me. And all of that to me really nicely dovetails with creativity and art and advertising and purpose and mission. So um, it is a lot, and I could use a staff, uh, there's no question, uh, to get a lot of stuff done. But the truth is, I, I don't want to stop doing either thing. They're both very fulfilling to me. You know, I would have thought with something this big, and by the way, just to, for those of you who can see this, these are some of the signs of the 2000. <laughs> just Smile is one of them. This one says, I am a veteran in need of work. Anything helps, God bless. You can almost feel the texture of this, can't you? If you are up under the umbrella of God's favor, then let him know you, appreciate it, by helping someone who's homeless. And so these are just a few of them. Right, and those are actually miniature commemorative posters. Uh, I typically do those each time I have an exhibit just as a way to uh, give away give things. Give away. And it's a way to just continue to have things out there raising awareness. Mm-hmm. Well, you use the words, this is my calling, and obviously it is. And there was a wonderful story that you shared and we've got some pictures of this man named Eddie Dunn that I mentioned earlier. Tell us about meeting Eddie. So when we were filming the documentary we were traveling all across the United States in July of 2014 and one of the cities we stopped at was Philadelphia. 
I was walking through downtown Philadelphia and ironically at the time was being followed by the Philadelphia Inquirer. They were doing a story about this and they just wanted to talk to me and interview people as well as I was buying signs. And I'm always really protective of the people whose signs I'm buying, so I make sure we get uh, permission before we photograph them or talk to them, etc. And so there was a man I bought a sign from, and he looked uh, a little roughed up. He was um, he had a really thick Philly accent, and he had an interesting sign which said, something to ponder, what if God occasionally visits Earth disguised as a homeless person panhandling to see how charitable we are? Completely hypothetical, of course. And I thought that was a really clever sign. I asked him about that, and we actually have that interview in the documentary about me asking about this sign and his name was Eddie and so I met him on the streets in 2014 didn't really know a lot about his story we talked for a while and I asked him some other questions and figured like 99% of everybody I ever meet on the streets that I'd never ever see Eddie again and almost two years later in 2016, I, ha- I had a photograph of me doing a talk about this project, and I had a picture of Eddie's sign behind my head. And that photograph was on Facebook. Eddie somehow comes across that and contacts me and writes a story and says, Hey, you may not remember me, but I'm the guy you bought that sign from. And of course I remembered him, and we started a conversation. He shared that what I didn't know about him at the time was that he was a heroin addict when I bought his sign, and <clears throat> that at the time he he had two kids he was estranged from. And so he tells me that a few months after we met, he went to jail so that he could get sober. And How did he get to jail? Excuse me. So he had uh, some traffic tickets or something and knew that he knew that if he went to jail, he wouldn't be able to get out of it because he had tried rehab and stuff and it's just never worked. But how did he get to jail? Uh, he called, I think he called his mom and asked his mom to take him there so that he could literally get sober. Can you imagine? And he did. And so he, when he contacted me, he said, it's been almost two years that I've been sober I have reconnected with my kids. Um, I have a brand new grandson, and I've got a job in uh, Pennsylvania. He was working as an insurance adjuster. And so we connected and continued talking. I was about to do another exhibit, like I mentioned, uh, at the Democratic National Convention. I was doing, uh, I was part of a group show. And I said, how about I buy you lunch? So I pick Eddie up at the train station he had to come in from Lancaster we went and spent four hours together I took him to the exhibit and his sign was one of the many signs that was on the wall and he stood in front of that wall and started weeping and I think he just hadn't connected to that sign in a while and seeing it again uh, reminded him of his journey and we ended up just becoming fast friends. We talked for about four hours and subsequently he and I have been on 
three or four different panel discussions. There's a woman in Philly that's done a research project about these signs, and she invited Eddie to join us on a panel discussion at one of those events. Um, Eddie and I ultimately did a TEDx talk together here in Dallas. Um, I was doing a TEDx talk and I asked if they would be willing to fly Eddie in so that he could join me on stage because I wanted someone to hear what it's like to be behind one of those signs. Mm -hmm. And Eddie talks about it in a very frank way. And um, so I, I just love the fact that he and I are connected and he's an incredibly generous man. I know he sponsors people in Philly he does a lot of his own work to try to help others. So um, it's just been a huge blessing that he and I have reconnected. That is an amazing story. And if anyone wants to see that little video clip of the uh, TED Talk, where can they go? So it's uh, t all the TEDx talks are online. So TED.com, TED I would imagine, is where you'd go to see. And you could search my name and probably find it okay. there. I've done a few TEDx talks, so it's one of them. But it's the one with Eddie Dunn. With Eddie Dunn, D-U-N-N. Okay. Yes. I saw it, and it was absolutely amazing. I want to talk about you, the man. I want to talk <laughs> okay. about you. So you are the oldest, uh, Willie, of eight kids. Wow. <laughs> so when you left home and decided to go to college. I went to college in my home city, so I didn't go far. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, was it difficult to get to college? And when you did, how did you know what you wanted to do, or did you? I didn't at first. Um, so I'm the oldest of eight and came from this big Cajun family. Uh, my dad never really made a lot of money, so uh, I needed grants and I needed to work to go to college. And that was just, I just knew that was going to be the case and it was no big deal. And when I started, I started actually majoring in pre-law, just not really sure what I wanted to do. And, it, and I changed my major to math, and then I changed my major to advertising design. And that's when I knew from that very first class that I was in the right place. Um, I just didn't realize that people could make a living doing creative stuff, uh, you know, <laughs> designing and doing art direction. So it was really, I knew right away that that was where I belonged. And uh, and and so then I've, you know, essentially had a career uh, based on that, which has been wonderful. And you owned your own agency. I did in Dallas for mm -hmm. about 15 years. Uh, I sold that agency in 2006. Uh, it's still being run brilliantly by a young woman named Holly Mason. It's now called Mason Baronet. And that, again, that was another huge education for me because I was not trained in business, and running a business uh, like that for 15 years was quite an education. Uh, I learned a lot about how to manage and how to uh, make enough money to pay all the people and, you know, all of that stuff. So 
it's one thing to be creative it's another thing to run a creative as we entrepreneurs know to run a small business a big business it's not it's just not easy no you know I ask you to share some of the uh, lessons learned and one of them that you said to me back to our conversation about the homeless you said this is uh, not us and them it's just us right I used to believe, I think when I first started, there was something in my brain that separated us. Yes. That something's different about us. Yes. And having done this now for so long, I don't believe that's the case. I think the circumstances are different, and, and for this moment anyway, this person may be experiencing homelessness or some sort of um, situation that is causing them to be on the street. But at our core level, mm-hmm. we're just two human beings in some point in our lives. And, and so I don't see them as other any longer. And I think that's the whole point when I started was to say it certainly pivoted at least my perception as well. Uh, and that leads to the other thing you said, which is everyone deserves to be treated with dignity in work or for a homeless person. I, I would ask, too, if you have any statistics of how many homeless people do, in fact, get off of the street. I am terrible about <coughs> knowing those specifics, but I do know, and this is something I think that's probably easy to, to Google and find out, mm-hmm. that there are chronic homeless and there are a lot of people who experience temporary bouts of homelessness. That includes college students. That includes people in all walks of life and the number obviously of people that experience homelessness for a short period of time is obviously a much larger number but there's a pretty significant population of people that are chronically have Mm. been on the streets in some cases for years even decades okay now this is a question that's kind of not easy to ask but it's what I was thinking before we met, which is, okay, we, we all cities have places for homeless to go, to get a meal, to have a place to stay overnight. Why aren't they going to those places? So, again, uh, there are a lot of scenarios, and I'd say a few things about that. One, some of them may actually go to shelters and sleep at night and still be on the street during the day trying to make some money. I see. Uh, some of the shelters, there are some in Dallas, for instance, that charge $8 a night for a bed. Hmm. So some people literally will go out on the street to make $8 so they have a place to sleep. There are a, a third or more of the people on the street have some form of mental illness. A lot of those people don't feel safe or aren't able to go stay in a shelter for lots of different reasons. And I don't pretend to know all the intricacies of that, but I do know that for some, they are afraid to be in a shelter. Uh, there's just so many variables that mm. are hard to know. Uh, There are other people that are on the street who have formed some community with folks they spend time with on the street, and they aren't willing to go and be apart from them or their animals if they happen to have pets. Those are all things that can contribute to why somebody may or may not choose to go to a shelter. You know, that 
Excuse me, that was interesting on the documentary, Willie, when someone was saying, we, we feed each other. We help, you know, if we get some food or we get some money and someone else. So the community, it, it, it just goes to the fact that everybody needs everybody, which is another thing you said about there's no one truth about homelessness. There's lots of different right. stories. There are. And I, you know, I've come to believe and I realize now that a big part of my project is really about the housed. I refer to the people like you and I as the housed. So the we, housed. we may have a place to sleep. And so many of my friends and people I meet around the country have their own notions, either stories they've heard or things they believe or things they've heard and now they think they believe, mm -hmm. whatever that might be. And a lot of the time I feel like my project is a chance for them to assess about what those things are and to assess what their feelings are and to maybe have a shift around that. I have been incredibly, almost freaked out over the last few months since this documentary has been on Amazon Prime. Almost every day, and some days more than once, I get a random message from somewhere in the world often other places than the U.S., but sometimes out of the U.S., from people just telling me about the experience they had watching this documentary and crying and wanting to help. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it's hearing these stories and yeah. getting to know the people that causes people to shift a little bit. Because most people are like you and me. It's mm -hmm. very easy to walk through and not look and mm -hmm. even feel afraid or whatever and never learn what is the thing that might cause me to engage or want to know more. And I feel so lucky because now I look forward to it. When I see a, a person and I have an interaction, I'm al I always am going to have an interesting conversation. And it's just fascinating to me. I feel like I have this little study in humanity that I get to have because of this project and I've met so many amazing people on the streets that I would never have met otherwise. Willie, your your passion is just I mean it's filling this whole room. And well. I don't know anyone else that's done anything like this. On the on the uh, video, back to that for a minute, you told me it's only been out like a little over three months. Right. And you've already I think last time I checked, it was about 30,000 people uh, times it had been watched. Well, it's, <laughs> it's going to be watched a lot more now after this podcast, I'm sure. I, uh, I was thinking about one other thing in your professorship, and I wanted to ask you this. What would you want your students to say about you as your legacy? <clears throat> wow. Thanks for uh, catching me off guard with that. I would say that the thing that I already get to experience from my students is watching. So one of the projects I give them is about how they could design their own legacy. I'm oh. flipping this around. Oh. But um, <laughs> but it's, it's the final project I give in this big intro to creativity class. And it requires students to figure out what matters to them first to write a brief mission statement, and then to take that mission statement as the basis to design their own legacy. 
So what happens is they often connect with something they care about, and it's all over the place. You know, women's rights, um, LGBTQ stuff, uh, things related to all kinds of marginalized groups. Sometimes it's just about their family. Sometimes it's about their faith. Sometimes it's about uh, a cause or a disease or cancer or something that's afflicted somebody in their lives. And then they craft a project around that. Hmm. Now, so what I would want them to remember is that creativity is this powerful force that can actually solve in fact it's the only thing that ever solves problems whether it's in law or medicine or anything creativity is at the root of problem solving and I believe that they get something from this class some of them for sure because some of them are out there with their own movements right now which we could talk for a long time about but I'd want them to remember that this class maybe spark something in them to think about what really matters. That's pretty cool. Yes. Now, does it always work that way? Not always. But yes, it is cool. And mm-hmm. I feel, like I said, I have, I'm have i the luckiest person I know. I do two things, and I love both of them. <laughs> and you found it, well, purpose, number one. You definitely have found your purpose, and that's something all of us seek and want. And then on top of that, You know, it's interesting, once we do find something that's really about who we are and it fits that, everything else starts to dovetail. It's just that sometimes we get too anxious or um, we want it right now. We just, come on, Valerie, you do branding. Just, you know, help me with my purpose. I want to pay you for this amount of time and I want to end with my purpose. Well you would be the first to say that it doesn't work that way right well so I'm gonna add to what I said earlier I say this is about the housed and one of the things I tell my friends and people who say things like oh I always feel guilty because I don't do enough or Mm -hmm. I I avert my eyes or whatever (laughs) I want to remind people how important it is to it does nobody any good to sit there and beat yourself up for not doing enough and if all you can do because you're you have a busy life and you have stuff to do if all you can do is smile and make eye contact and wave at somebody awesome you just change something for this one person on this corner and I try to to remind people don't spend any of your energy beating yourself up do what you can if if you want to put some uh, protein bars in your car to hand out or whatever it is do it and feel great and keep you know smiling and waving make let them see the humanity in you Mm. and then you see the humanity in them if that's all that happens to me the needles moving and the needle has to keep moving so um, I just don't think people feeling guilty is serving any really good purpose oh thank you for that that takes some bricks off of my and many other people's shoulders i think Um, because i used to feel that all the time and i realized uh wow that is not helping anybody all it's doing is keeping me down well and you shared with me uh 
in in your words that any help is good help just yes. what you said big or small smile money food whatever it is this has been amazing eddie i uh i am so you glad you said eddie again i said eddie i didn't mean to say eddie i've got <laughs> eddie on my brain willie 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 um but you two are so at, joined at the hips i wonder how many other eddies there are out there that you may never know but your work is being uh, not only recognize, but you never know the people that you touch, right? And that's okay. That is we don't true. Have to know and it. yeah, there's obviously, and that's why even when I say about you know making eye con- contact and smiling, mm-hmm. people never get to know the impact that might have for somebody, and that can be big. It might be the thing they needed that day. Exactly. You are doing it right. You are doing Thank it you. right, Willie. Well, some days I feel like that. <laughs> Well, you better feel like that as you go up to Anchorage and do your wonderfulness up there. Yes, with long johns. With long johns, get keep warm. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been it's a my joy. pleasure. It's thanks for having joy. me, and thanks for doing what you're doing to continue to spread good words. Thank you. I'm going to try. Well, I have a Valerieism for you today, and here it is: Giving is the honey that adds sweetness to life. Spread that sweetness, and your lives will be more fulfilled. And I actually do have a quick story about that. Um, When I started my career, uh, and I started in professional speaking, I, (laughs) I spoke anywhere and everywhere to get experience. So I spoke free a lot. And then as the years went by, and I began being able to charge, I was still asked to speak free. And my peers, many of them said, don't do that. No, now you've earned the right to charge and you should not go back. And I pondered that. And I went into my own heart and talked to myself saying, you know, Valerie, it's a choice, isn't it? And so today what I will tell you is something that tends to happen over and over again. Today, I get to choose, first of all, I I do set a limit on how many a year I can, but when I'm asked to speak for free and I have the opportunity time-wise and whatever to do so, and I make the choice to do so, then I feel like I'm being led to do that. There's not one time that that I can say this doesn't happen, but this is one that just happened and I I think it's a good ending to the story, which is, so I did do a speaking engagement for a company. And this company, I thought, well, goodness, they should have paid. But it was asked by a friend of mine, and they said, you know, there isn't any budget, but it'll be good exposure. That's what always said, be good exposure. Okay, I will do it. About three to four years later, I got a call from the woman that I had worked with on that engagement, and now she was in another senior position at another company. And she just called and said, now I'm with, this is what we have, I want you. It just fell, quote unquote, into my lap. And it just is reinforcement that if you follow your heart, and you do what's right at that time in that situation according to what your um, your choices are. Somehow when you give, 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 you get, get, get. 
So back to giving is the honey that adds sweetness to life. Spread that sweetness and your lives will be more fulfilled. And that's my Valerieism. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically. <laughs>